I am Brother Cornell West. This is Chris Hedges. I'm Rosa Clemente. Hey, what's up? This is Chuck D, Public Enemy Prophets of Rage. And this is News Beat. Hey, everyone. This is Manny Faces, producer and host of News Beat. We welcome you to a special bonus episode continuing our coverage on how the coronavirus pandemic has been affecting society's most vulnerable communities. You can listen to all of our episodes, including our traditional blend of hard-hitting social justice journalism and original hip-hop at usnewsbeat.com or anywhere you find podcasts. Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, anywhere. Now, as of this recording, novel coronavirus, or COVID-19, is continuing its death march across America, with total infections surpassing 418,000 and more than 14,200 lives taken. Especially hard hit has been New York and New Jersey, where we're out of, with total deaths approaching 6,300 and topping 1,500, respectively. Our thoughts and prayers go out to all those who are suffering this viral wrath. Now, on March 13, one of the foremost experts on healthcare inside jails and prisons, Dr. Homer Venters, joined us for a discussion on COVID-19 and warned on this podcast of a, quote, very perilous and looming threat inside American correctional facilities amid the coronavirus pandemic outbreak. And since then, more than 200 people have been infected inside Rikers Island, one of the largest jails in the world. And the notorious complex has recorded its first COVID-19 related death. Michael Tyson, a 53-year-old with underlying health conditions, was being held there for an alleged parole violation, according to the nonprofit Legal Aid Society, one of an ever-growing chorus of civil rights activists who have been calling for prisoners to be released en masse during this life-and-death threat and a barring of new admissions to jails and prisons. Now, joining us to further discuss the deadly conditions existing within Rikers and elsewhere and reverberating their call to stave off what is becoming more and more evident as a death sentence for inmates, many of them who are being held at the draconian facility simply because they can't afford bail, are Alice Fontier, a public defender, criminal defense attorney, and managing director of the criminal practice at nonprofit The Bronx Defenders, and Katie Schaefer, the director of organizing and advocacy at the Center for Community Alternatives. As always, if you dig what you hear, please consider taking a moment to rate and review us. But most importantly, stay healthy out there, everyone. Thank you again for listening. Here we go. Just to put a perspective on this 9-11, which so many of us lived through in this state and in this nation, 2,753 lives lost. This crisis, we've lost 6,268 New Yorkers. The number of dead in New York is climbing and the morgues are running out of space. Bodies are now being stored in refrigerated lorries parked outside the city's hospitals. This is another victim of coronavirus. Another number to add to America's growing toll. As I'm sure you know, uh, New York City is the epicenter of the pandemic um, at this moment. Um, the infection rate is incredibly high across New York City. All non-essential businesses are shut down. There's been, not using the term, but effectively a shelter-in-place order ha have come through. The NYPD is still hard at work. People are being arrested and public defenders and other defense uh, attorneys have been deemed essential employees. And so we are still representing people on new arrests as they come through the system. We The courts have recently changed to virtual. So our clients obviously are not virtual. They're being arrested and brought into central booking, but then everybody else appears on video. 
So we're representing people and trying desperately to keep them out of um, Rikers Island because 24 hours in central booking in small cages and groups is dangerous enough. And then at the same time, our office in conjunction um, with all of the other public defense offices in the city are working incredibly hard to get everybody, as many people as we possibly can, out of Rikers and the other city jails. We have done individual advocacy, seeking, um, you know, resentencing, making bail applications, filing individual writs, and then also filing um, what we have been calling mass writs, basically saying that it is cruel and unusual punishment. There is like not sufficient medical care and people are in grave danger if they continue to be held at Rikers Island and the other city jails. Today, we got some dire news out of New York City's jail, where precisely the thing advocates and public defenders and experts have been warning about for weeks is now coming true. According to a new analysis by the Legal Aid Society, there are 75 cases of coronavirus in city jails, most of which are in the Rikers Island. Rikers is one of the largest correctional facilities in the world. And right now, the infection rate there is seven times that of New York like 87 times that of the U.S. as a whole. We are seeing rates of infection far beyond what we are seeing even in New York City, which is in the epicenter, uh, and many more magnitudes beyond what we're seeing in other parts of the country. Now, in other jails and prisons, we simply have no idea. There has not been sufficient testing. And in fact, there has been an intentional obfuscation of the spread of the virus. So we have seen uh, the first deaths of people inside in-state prisons, but we have no idea the scope of the spread because there has been virtually no testing. A Rikers Island inmate has died from coronavirus. The Department of Corrections says it's the first death of an infected prisoner. The inmate died yesterday at Bellevue Hospital. The DOC says beginning last Friday, masks were given to all staff and those in custody. So the first case of somebody uh, with COVID-19 who died from it um, happened in Rikers on Sunday. And what we are seeing in that case and in many others is that people are in Rikers on technical parole violations. They are there in pretrial detention and that we are talking about a virus that is a death sentence for some people. And so it means that somebody who is in on a parole violation, meaning they missed curfew or they didn't check into the, with their parole officer when they were supposed to, that folks like that are being are, have been sent back to jail across the state. This is not a new problem, but it is now a problem uh, that can kill you. And that is what we are. That is what we are seeing. And it is why it is so critical that the mayor and the governor move to release people en masse, sweeping clemencies, and barring new admissions to jails and prisons. There is tremendous work from the public defenders and legal advocates. There has been a filing of both individual and mass writs to have people released. Legal Aid, Bronx Defenders, Brooklyn Defender Services are all engaged in that work in New York City for people who are being held on technical parole violations, but also for people being held in immigration detention facilities. So we've had some success. Right before the pandemic started, the um, population of Rikers Island was over 5,000. It is um, below that now, um, but it not nearly enough success. 
in doing individual um, applications, uh, we have had, we've got over 30 of our clients um, out of custody. We started with um, just under 300 in on an individual capacity. There were about 600 some people that were held on Rikers Island on solely on technical parole violations. Many of those people are getting released. The Legal Aid Society filed a writ. Their first writ was on behalf of people who had age or medical concerns and were on technical parole writs. That was granted entirely. Um, 115 people got out. So between all of the offices, we are making a dent. But that being said, the infection rate at Rikers Island, for all of the obvious reasons, is about seven times higher than it is in New York City, where it's the highest in the world right now. Jails, as well as prisons across the country, cramped quarters, less than hygienic conditions are contributing to the spread of the virus among both prisoners and the people that work there, corrections officers. Those corrections officers and those employees, of course, can then bring that infection back to their families and their communities. And so it is all a huge public health threat. Some states and counties are starting to take it seriously, releasing thousands of low-risk, elderly, or vulnerable inmates. People are terrified. They're scared for their lives. I mean, the, you know, the jail system is just not equipped. I mean, they hand sanitizer is considered contraband. You know, they filed an affidavit in court saying that they can handle this because they've given everyone unlimited access to soap. But they cannot keep people more than six feet apart. They simply can't do it. And people are coming, new people are entering Rikers Island every day. The people who work there are going in and out of the facility. There are many, many people, corrections officers, who have tested positive. There's over 200 inmates who have tested positive. It is a disaster that has started to happen. We have basically been working with the DA's office trying to get them to consent because it's questionable of whether there's a true legal means to just get somebody resentenced. But for people that had um, two months and less left to serve on the sentence, the Defender offices, ours and others, as well as the mayor's office, have tried to compile lists of everybody that had a very short amount of time left on their sentence. And then we are negotiating with the district attorneys to agree to shorter sentences. The mayor's office also, on a, like people who had um, short sentences left but were still there, they ordered that most of those people, so and again, that was over 100 additional people, be released on work release. So they're still in technically in the custody of the Department of Corrections, but they are serving their sentence on work release, so from home and checking in on supervision. You know, it's been a real uphill battle to make people, and when I say people, I mean the system, courts, prosecutors, understand, like, really, truly, that this is not, we're not operating in the normal sense. And when you, you know, they keep going back to this idea of public safety, you know, we are not saying, obviously, my preference would be let everyone out, figure it out after we're not putting people at grave risk of death. But, you know, to the extent that that realistically we know that is not going to happen, we need to have a much broader sense of what it means. Prosecutors should not be prosecuting low-level offenses, never mind asking for bail, even if somebody is technically eligible for bail. You know, if somebody is simply a flight risk, so what? <laughs> you know, that's what I have to say at this point. I mean, it is getting somebody to return to court. Is that really worth 
risking their and other people's lives by putting them into these crowded situations? I don't think so. We are leveraging all of the organizing and advocacy tactics in our toolbox made challenging by the fact that there is a raging epidemic that means that we are not allowed to congregate in groups. And so traditional protests outside of the governor's office, for example, are something that we cannot that we cannot do. As if contending with the consequences of the disease was not hard enough, Schaefer and a coalition of advocacy groups spent the past week urging New Yorkers to call their respective state lawmakers to stop rollbacks to the historic bail reform law passed last year. The pandemic only heightened their sense of urgency. So what the governor pushed for and happened in the middle of the night on Friday was the passage of rollbacks to bail reform. So these were laws that were passed last year that went into effect on January 1st that were working. Because of that reform, there were 6,800 fewer people in jail pre-trial every day. And what was passed in this state budget uh, was a rollback to that law that will subject tens of thousands more people every year to pre-trial jailing. And more technically, what it does is that it expands the charges and the categories of people who judges can set money bail on and detain pre-trial. I talk about where we live, Dig, in New York, because New York City Police Commissioner James O'Neill is stepping down. He resigned yesterday after three years leading the nation's largest police force. Why? Because he is unhappy with the bail rule. They're doing away with bail, which will mean 900 inmates are going to be released by January. I've been talking about this story for now almost a year. This is only the beginning of it. There was crime before the bail law passed. There was crime that happened after the bail law passed. But every single act, every that you know could make a headline, was turned into a, this is the result of the bail law. People are know they're not going to have to go to jail. Almost every article that was you know in two inch print in the New York Post or in some other hysteria rag was inaccurate, totally unable to be connected to the bail laws, or just provided untruthful information. You know, for most of the offenses that people were afraid, bail was absolutely on the table. A judge could and did put a lot of people in jail pre-trial based on the charges, what had happened. And, you know, it is the violence in those acts that frighten people. And the bail reforms changed none of that. And so it was just pure hysteria. And it was the police officers and the prosecutors realizing that Power had been taken away. Things really were changing. And there was nothing they could do about it in the courts. And so they resorted to organized hysteria. Criticism is mounting over new bail reform laws after a homeless man accused of violence was arrested yet again. It was the suspect's second arraignment in one week. Some local district attorneys are sounding off alongside local police officers. They're concerned about the looming bail reform changes slated to take place starting next week. And right now they're at the Staten Island DA's office where they're expected to address this new policy. 
On every day in the U.S., there are 2.3 million people behind bars. But that fails to capture what advocates sometimes refer to as jail churn, meaning that there are hundreds and thousands of people who cycle in and out of jails. Uh, and that is because of the deeply unjust system of pretrial detention that we have. So somebody is arrested, a judge will set money bail, they will be locked up. Now, sometimes that is for a year or two years, but sometimes it's for a day or a week or a month. But there are huge numbers of people for whom that happens to. And before COVID-19, that was unjust and devastating to people's lives, that it doesn't take much more than a day or two to lose your shift job and then to fall behind on rent, to lose any kind of benefits you had through your job, etc. But in the epidemic, what we see then is that jail churn not only subjects all of those people to the heightened risk of catching the virus inside, but because they then return to their communities in fairly short order, they are then putting their communities at risk. And so the idea that we are locking down commercial stores, schools, etc., but we are allowing people to continue to churn in and out of jails flies in the face of all of the public health recommendations. Hey again, everyone. This is Manny Faces, producer and host of Newsweek. Thank you again for listening. I just wanted to pop back here for a moment to give a very special thank you to all the healthcare workers and first responders who are out there literally risking their lives to help save all of ours during this incredibly trying time. Now, we at Newsbeat pride ourselves in shining a light on issues and people oftentimes neglected, forgotten about, or even abused and cast away. As you've heard in this episode, there's a great many folks toiling away in our nation's shameful prison industrial complex. So many there simply because they just couldn't afford bail who are now facing possible death sentences in the face of this insidious coronavirus. It's incredibly important to look out for them too, as well as other marginalized communities all across this great country. And as I stated at the beginning of this bonus episode, if you like what you've heard, please rate and review us and subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts or visit us at usnewsbeat.com. Share us with your friends and family and check back with us because our continuing bonus series on coronavirus will continue. And you can always check out our complete episodes, which all feature original hip hop from incredible independent artists in our unique award winning mixture. Our last shout out here will go to our parent company, Inbound Marketing, Sales Enablement and Client Retention, HubSpot Partner Agency, Mori Creative Studios, who makes what we do possible. If your business is looking for help with messaging, sales, lead generation during these times, check them out, moricreative.com. Once again, please stay healthy and safe out there, everybody. One love. Peace.